This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We can't, first of all, underestimate the need for primary care, even as care has become much more fragmented. When you're really trying to solve for primary care as a health system, as a primary care medical leadership group, what you need to think about is it goes back to the consumer needs and patient focus, patient focus. Hello, welcome to SG2 Perspectives. My name is Tori Ritchie, and I'm thrilled to be joining Trevor and Jamie as a co-host going forward. Today, we're going to talk about primary care. This is really a continuation of the conversation we started back in December and the primary care webinar. And we're covering this topic because this is the most searched topic on the website. The landscape is changing dramatically, as is the forecast. So today I am joined by three of our experts, Mark Larson, Justin Cassidy, and David Mina, experts on this topic, specializing in various sub areas. Justin really thinking about the service line and clinical side, David focusing on the community health aspect of how this fits into the broader healthcare landscape, and Mark specializing in key consumer trends in the space. Mark, why do you think this is the most searched topic on our website? I'm so glad we're talking about this in the podcast today because primary care is absolutely one of my favorite topics. I cover consumerism and there's nothing more consumer centric than primary care. You know why? Primary care is like the strongest on-ramp to the health system. That's why a lot of our clients are really focused on that. When you think about it, 90% of consumers, and we actually found this in our survey, had a primary care visit in the past three years. That is a tremendous number of volume The problem is that primary care in many systems operates somewhat disconnected and as a transactional service, our clients really know they can do better by focusing really in three specific areas. One is around primary care access. We found on our survey, 20% of consumers struggle to find affordable primary care access. That challenge can be as high as 31% for some ethnic groups. So access is a challenge. A lot of folks know that COVID accelerated that. Secondly, just solving that low acuity puzzle, many of our clients have placed primary care assets across their community. They're trying to figure out which assets serve which consumers. And then the last piece is really understanding that they may have to adapt how they provide primary care needs in the future and even thinking of it in a more of a segmented way. Many clinics today cover both chronic patients as well as more lower acuity patients that are transactional in their needs. In the future, we may be looking at segmenting certain populations and serving them a little bit differently based on their care needs. So those are some things that I've been considering and really seeing from our clients' perspective and why there's such a big focus here. That last comment on patient segmentation makes me think back to the webinar that Justin and I did at the end of 21. Justin, any thoughts here on really that importance of understanding the different patient populations? We've talked at length about how those needs vary. The needs are vast and differ between folks that are engaging with primary care. And the most important question really is, why are folks interested in this right now? As we started digging in, we realized we don't even know what the definition of primary care is anymore. Primary care is no longer monolithic. External disruptors are picking apart each piece of what was once considered primary care and monetizing the heck out of it. There's a shift of higher acuity cases to urgent care centers, immediate care, lower acuity to virtual medical groups like MD Live. We see the emergence of concierge clinics with cash-based subscription-based models for young professionals. Digital health, meanwhile, trying to scale chronic care management tools. 
All the while, we have AI-based triage, which is potentially the most disruptive component of this. Think Dr. Google, but there are many more in the play, Bui Health, Babylon, that act as primary care, pre-primary care access channels. That is patients Googling and then kind of being directed to what might be a specialty service, jumping over that initial primary care visit. Meanwhile, the complex chronic patients are targeted with next-generation ACOs or other high-touch programs that are increasingly incorporated social needs into the play. There's also the conflation of public health with primary care and really asking the question of where one stops and the other begins. And this feeds into part of why, Tori, our clients are so engaged by that webinar we gave in December. There are three primary reasons why folks are asking about primary care now. The first is really mission-oriented, that of gaining the trust of the community and serving the needs of health that have preventative medicine, sewing into value-based care population health initiatives. Some great examples, Ashner Health, University of Chicago Medicine, expanding primary care networks in what were traditionally underserved communities. Then there's the flip side, the idea that there's a lot of opportunity here with large primary care groups trying to sell themselves. There's a potential for an M&A opportunity. There's a lot of questions as to what a potential ROI from having that primary care network might be. Perhaps the most important, primary care is a channel management strategy for specialty care and also procedural-based revenue streams for hospitals. Here we've seen a lot of interesting activity. We talked about those direct-to-consumer referrals, but also some health systems potentially where the mission is the margin, acquiring urgent care groups as a channel strategy for those more high-acuity patients to channel them into the system with more acute care needs. Those are some great points. Do you feel like there's a greater need for primary care in a health system today? There's various different ways we're approaching that, but do you think our health systems should be growing that presence? That really is the question, Mark. We've been trying really hard, and we're not aware of any source, internal, external, that can really definitively say this is the ROI of primary care. But we do know that as the acuity of the patient rises, the sort of value of that engagement becomes greater in terms of cost avoidance. That's awesome. When I talk to folks about this, we have a number of conversations about primary care and urgent care. And one of the things they said, you know, what place do we play in this? And the thing is, is that if primary care is that big access channel, and if you want to be a comprehensive health care provider for your community, you have all the assets, the parts and pieces to make that happen. A lot of these disruptors can handle the front end, but they can't handle all the rest. It really goes back to a strategic question on what role do you want to play on behalf of your community? And that might help you move forward. There's then an important tie of that mission-oriented role and really the tie then to health equity, which, David, I know that this is an area that you're heavily involved in. What is the role of primary care in advancing health equity within communities? It's one of the key questions that we keep getting in the past year. Before the pandemic, one of the areas we started to explore because it was so important to our hospitals was the drivers of health and really asking that question. What are not just the constitutional drivers, clinical drivers, but what are those social drivers that result in someone becoming sick or not? In doing so, we kind of explored the question of really what role does the health system have in addressing social drivers? Once the pandemic started, health equity became very important, not just to health systems, but really to arguably society at large, as there was this collective awareness of the historical inequities that got worse during the pandemic. When we think of health equity, and one of the things I like to remind hospitals and health systems is that access to primary care is a key determinant of health. Without that, it's really asking the question, primary care for whom? Because there's this kind of thread we've been pulling a little more on disengagement and also why certain populations are disengaged from preventive care. 
And part of that has to do with just the lack of availability of care historically in some communities. And the next layer on being affordability of care. That is key. Even I can see the primary care providers, urgent care around me. If I can't afford it, then that is inherently inaccessible to me. That we know has implications for the health system. Even if the health system isn't heavily invested in primary care, we know that when people don't get access to preventive care, and especially once the onset of, let's say, chronic conditions start, then you start to see some of that impact downstream in the ED. Marcus covered the ED for a while, and we know that the ED story is an access story. There's a direct line that ties there. It might take time to materialize, but there's always something there. For health systems that really want to advance health equity, looking at primary care and understanding where those access points exist or not for people in the community is going to be key going forward. And David, you make such a great point. We've talked about this with a number of clients in webinars that we've done. When our clients are really thinking about primary care, don't exclude the ED. The ED is a big server of primary care and probably one that you want to focus on. I know in the work that you've done with social determinants of health, too, as some of the organizations have said, we recognize this is not the best place to receive care for primary care in many cases for some of these communities that are underserved. And we need to come up with solutions for that. And sometimes those solutions, yeah, it is an investment, but you also think about the areas where cost is high, which is the emergency department as well. Is that where you want to treat patients that really need need to have that, perhaps that relationship for those chronic patients with a healthcare or primary care provider. I'm curious, when I think about just the definition of primary care, it feels like it's changed substantially in recent times. And we're no longer thinking of primary care services as being provided exclusively by a primary care physician in their office and clinic. What do you want members to pull forward when they're thinking about building up these programs, meeting patient needs, and approaching these strategies in the future? Mark? There's certainly a lot of change. We can't, first of all, underestimate the need for primary care, even as care has become much more fragmented. When you're really trying to solve for primary care as a health system, as a primary care medical leadership group, what you need to think about is it goes back to the consumer needs and patient focus, patient focus. That's true, but we're still missing the mark. Understanding what those consumer segments are and then building your primary care practice around that If you can do that, if you can solve the access challenges, if you can solve the weight challenges to get an appointment, if you can integrate all your different low acuity assets appropriately, you can solve for primary care. I would argue you can even put a better offering together than any of the disruptors. The other side of that, and we'll talk a little bit about disruptors here, is the Medicare Advantage piece. I think we want to get into how that fits into the SG2 forecast. That sounds great. So how does this fit into the SG2 forecast? That's something that we are in the thick of thinking through right now. For members listening, we are actively working on the 2022 refresh. And I'm curious, David, how are you thinking of approaching primary care differently in the forecast this year? It's been a challenge. And if we think about it in a very general way, there's two large segments that are either increasing that utilization of primary care and that segment that's just not engaging. We have the kind of the people who are already have some sort of reason to go to primary care. They either have a chronic condition, they actually need the care to maintain their level of health. And that's mainly older, Medicare aged. But then you go into more of the younger population, and that's where a lot of the disruption is really happening and lack of engagement in terms of how you take these two almost conflicting or things that are having kind of a countervailing effect. And you look at it as a whole, what do you end up with? 
Because that's kind of our task with the forecast. How do we look at both from clinical conditions and, and visits? How do you actually look at things as a whole? And how do you plan around that? That's really been our challenge. And from my understanding, where we landed at the moment has been that it's really kind of that unengaged patient, or really not even a patient, that unengaged person is what's winning out at the moment, given some of the, I'm going to call it concerning trends we've seen, both in terms of, like, as we said, availability, affordability, or just some other options that, and lack of trust that we've even mentioned today. There's a lot of reasons why we think at the moment that's winning out. David, let's zero in on a very narrow subset definition of primary care. Patients experiencing chronic conditions often see a specialist for their chronic care need, for their primary care needs, as along with their chronic care needs. But let's zero in on that annual preventative wellness E&M visit. Just looking at that one node and how complicated this is, and in a lot of sense, our models are seeing volumes go up, down, and all around. There are three key points here to sort of integrate into that E&M visit for preventative wellness, and that's the declines, replacement, and growth. First, significant declines are being seen in younger disengaged patients, often on commercial payer plans. The concerning trends in society, politicalization of medicine and health have led some to be dissuaded from preventative care. On the flip side, we're seeing replacement of many of those wellness visits. The definition of primary care changing, external disruptors picking apart pieces of that visit. And one of the most important trends in this replacement bin is the creation of these digital pharmacies, Hims, Roman, 30 Madison, Nurex. Actually, 30 Madison and Nurex just announcing a merger between their digital pharmacies, creating all sorts of interesting and spe- subspecialized therapies that for targeted disease states. 30 Madison, for instance, having a a service called Picnic for people with allergies, Cove for folks experiencing migraines, prescription delivery service called Capsule, a GI-based service called Evens that offers things like fiber supplements and probiotics. So really thinking about specialized care in a completely different way, and each of those could start to pick apart what would be a traditional patient encounter with a primary care doc that would write a prescription for a certain type of ailment. So that would be a replacement type of service, often cash-based pay. And then finally, what we've touched on earlier is significant growth in the last few years experienced by primary care, those preventative wellness visits due to Medicare Advantage expansion. And here, really, the primary care physician is serving as a bit of a gatekeeper for the three categories of older Americans. Those that are first entering Medicare Advantage, those that are, quote-unquote, on the go, versus those that are sort of experiencing uh, more complex comorbid conditions, the the sort of slow-go, and then finally the no-go older American population. It's more limited mobility and the like. It's interesting to think down the road how that primary care provider in MA plans will serve. It will be seen more as an HMO-style care gatekeeper, or will it be more of that trusted advisor? It kind of remains to be seen, but we're definitely trying to integrate those three forces into these E&M visits, the declines, the replacement, and the growth. A couple of times in this conversation, the topic of disruption has come up. And Justin, in your last response, I feel like you just listed a great subset of some of those primary care disruptors. I'm curious, how do you feel systems and traditional healthcare providers, how well positioned are those entities in competing against some of those primary care disruptors that are coming onto the landscape? This is the fun question, right? Trying to think forward. But the first thing I would ask, I think our clients should ask is, look at these disruptors. Have they shown that they're replicable? Have they shown growth in their business? Are they sustainable? Do we think 
they're being cash infused or do you think they're actually generating bottom line dollars? Because that's what's going to make them sustainable at the end of the day. So always question that. I think keep an eye on them, obviously, especially what's going on in your market. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the convergence between primary care and new pharma therapies, specialty therapies, some of these are curative. They're going to disrupt primary care. Where are they going to disrupt that? I think we need to think about that in the future. And then how can we as a health system make it easier for consumers to access those therapies? We don't want them to go to somewhere else. If it's something that they don't even want to speak to a physician about, maybe there's channels that we can use digital approaches. Then the other thing is just thinking about it, refills, prescription refills. One of the biggest pains for consumers, going back to the consumer, how do we make that easier for them? I know organizations like Oshner and others are doing that centrally and really trying to break down some of the barriers for consumers. Just looking at that disruption and then the MA piece is probably one of the biggest areas of disruption. If I thought about what's really impacting primary care, the new MA offerings, as Justin said, they do have a good, what is perceived as a good offering for more comprehensive and care for chronic conditions. What do their models look like? And then with Medicare Advantage growing as rapidly as it is in many of your large markets, you need to make strategically a decision. Is that an area that you want to play in? And is there an opportunity for you to segment that population, the 65 plus or whatever target you go after, and actually manage them in separate clinics in a different way, maybe that care team approach, and connecting with a payer to develop an offering around that? That's something we're going to see more of in the future because MA is becoming such a large force. And even some of the direct primary care offerings as well may have payer involvement in them. For me, that's kind of where the disruption is headed. It kind of goes back to the basics, maybe not real sexy, but uh, you know, just paying attention again to what's going on in your market is key. That's great. We've covered a lot of ground today. And before we close, I'm curious if there is one thing that you want primary care providers to think about and consider moving forward. Mark, what is that thing? I'll be a little bit more short term here, but I think coming out of COVID, primary care practices really need to think about, are they delivering compassionate care to the patient? There's a business reason and there's obviously the patient reason and the provider reason. Patients really do respond well to compassion for care and for behavioral health reasons when they're managing chronic conditions. For the provider's perspective, there's been studies shown that providers can actually benefit from a burnout perspective by providing compassionate care. And then for a business perspective, consumers who feel like they're in touch with their providers are less likely to seek other providers. Keeping them in the network is really important. A little bit provocative, maybe a little off course, but something to think about after post-COVID here. I love that. I think that's so important. Mark, Justin, David, thank you for joining me today. This has been a fantastic conversation. We've certainly covered a lot of ground in a very short period of time. I'm also excited. We have a couple of things coming down the runway for primary care information and and development coming out of SG2. So we're on the lookout for the new consumerism survey report, a high reliability briefing with a section on patient-focused high reliability in the primary care setting, and then later in the year, a briefing on primary care itself. Very exciting. Can't wait to see these new materials and, and really dive into them. 
I hope today that our listeners can apply some of this information as we've discussed the primary care strategy. I'm sure many are struggling with this changing landscape, and it's exciting to think about some of the possibilities here. Thank you for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, we value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes. You can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us, and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.